Holy smokes, it's another episode of the Curious Cats podcast with me, your host, Ricky Spears. No Chris today. Chris can't always make it, unfortunately, because he's got his own business to run. He's a busy boy. And, you know, the world's health ain't going to change itself, is it? So uh, you have to make do with me. Uh, but fortunately, I've got a great guest in Donna Waters. Donna is a probation uh, officer. She's a trained polygraph examiner she has a degree in community and criminal justice she's also a local community radio dj um, in ipswich on on ipswich community radio uh, she's just a great person all around to talk to um, i enjoyed this conversation with donna she's got a lot to a lot to teach us i think because she's been through some shit in recent years and I feel like she's come out the back of that shit a better person for it. So she's very good at realising the positives from from bad times and, and using them and kind of changing up your mindset going forward from there. So without further ado, please enjoy Donna Waters. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Um, but yeah, you do get used to it. It's, it's weird to begin with, but you'll, you'll find it's all right. Okay. I think it's because I'm a visual person and I'm just trying to kind of like... Yeah, so you could you push, <coughs> push that down if you want and then just angle the mic up. So I think I've found it. my position. Nice, good. I think I'm all right here. Um, but on that note, it's probably a good place to start. Mm -hmm. I've got no idea what's happening with this broadcast thing. Broadcast thing? Yeah, the radio thing. Okay. So it was all born out of probably in the last few years, although I'm pretty self-aware, I know what my good points are and what my bad points are, People started to tell me I had a nice voice. Right. Just in the last few years. I don't know where that's come from, but I've heard that it's can, it can be soothing. I've heard that it can be sexy. I've heard that it's quite a smooth, just a nice, pleasant to listen to voice. Right. So I thought, I'd heard it enough times to think, hello, okay. do I need to look That's into this? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think someone mentioned voiceover work. So I started to look that up and see whether that could be something I could go into. But um, a lot of that was you have to have your own you know your own equipment Setup. at home and right. stuff so i decided i didn't want to spend the money on it so because i've got a bit of a love of music i thought i'd go into being a wedding dj this is a real like roller coaster yeah, of yeah, how yeah. i ended up where i was so i contacted like a local <coughs> um community radio station so it's not for profit right. um and asked me if I could come down and learn how to mix music. Right. And he said, yeah, come down and talk to me. Like mix, as in DJ mix music. Yeah, so right. like use their equipment and learn to mix because I don't know where to start. Cool. Um, me and my brother used to DJ, but uh, he lives so far away and he's busy, blah, blah, blah. So he invited me down there and I got chatting to him and I didn't realise how community radio worked. It's, it's for the people, yeah. by the people. So okay. you, can, you can talk about anything and play anything. There's no playlist, there's no, oh, right, okay. no guidelines or anything. So... He invited me down to show me the equipment, but then we got talking about presenting and he said that you can actually train to be a presenter. They do a course, a structured course, like six weeks long to show you like how to use the equipment and stuff, how to interview and how to operate the mic and stuff and enrolled me on it. Right. And that's it. So I never, I didn't intend to be a radio presenter. How long? Is the course how long? Yeah. It's about six weeks. So it covers things like... You started it. No. I've done it. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I've done it, but I still feel like a fish a total fish out of water really yeah i had to record like the the sixth week the last week culminated in me recording like a practice show and i was rubbish i just realized how rubbish i was <laughs> like, i imagine myself at well, home everyone is on day one though right well this was this was week six you know well yeah but so you don't, don't when you go live like, yeah 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 well no i wasn't going live i was recording it but it felt it we had to stick to a schedule we planned it all out in the same way that you'd plan a show yeah um, we had like the fat controller, I call him, but he's like the station manager watching over me, and he was kind of like p tapping his watch in a comedy Would that style be and stuff. In radio, is he the producer? Interestingly, in community radio, there is no producer, and this is what I've learned. You do everything, so you you plan your show, you plan what you're going to play, you plan what you're going to say, you're going to plan what guests you have. There's no pressure. Okay. As long as you don't swear on air and you've got an awareness of like the Ofcom regulations, yeah. you can do what you want. Um, so there is no producer. And actually, it shines a bit of a light on, on BBC DJs. From okay. what I understand, I don't want to do them a disservice because obviously they're, 
they're um, really good at what they do and they're doing it for a reason. But I started to notice when I was listening to some, you know, for instance, BBC radio stations, they'd have like someone in from the Saturdays, for instance, you know, the girl yeah. band uh-huh. from ages ago. Yeah. She's been doing a little stint on a, on a Saturday and I thought, how is she managing to do all of this stuff that I'm, I'm struggling to do? Like, what training has she had? How is she sounding so natural and so yeah. good? Because I can't even tell you how hard it is. Right. People always say about radio, there's loads of buttons, but you only use a couple of them. But it's not about that. It's about the order that you have to press them in right. to make it sound smooth, putting the mic down. Uh-huh. You're concentrating and focusing on what you're saying, and then you've got to get cue your music up. And there's so much to think about. So what I learned was that on BBC Radio, they're actually just talking like you and I are now, and there's someone else fiddling around with the buttons and queuing up the music Mm. for them. So I I don't know quite what a producer does, because I've I've never met one, but I imagine that they have a real big hand in planning the show, putting pressure on them to say certain things, you know, and I don't have any of that, so it should be really exciting and really cool. Keeping you on time and stuff as well, though. They've got to go to the news, you've got to go to the news, you've got to say about a competition, you've got to, do you know what I mean? Like telling them what they've got to say. I don't have any of that. But that's, the, again, the beauty of podcasts as well. We do whatever we want. We say whatever we want. Yeah. And there's other podcasts I've listened to about when you then, like a successful podcaster might, well, Joe Rogan did, got offered TV shows and he did them and stuff. But then he said afterwards, you've always got somebody, or if you do a podcast through a big network, yeah, they're, they're pushing content at you. They're saying, don't talk about this. Don't say that. Don't say, it. it's like, fuck yeah. off. It's yeah. my podcast. Oh, I you can whatever. swear on a podcast. You just did a swear. Too right, you can. <laughs> it's, my, it's my podcast. And if people don't like it, they just won't listen. Exactly. And that's fair enough. Yeah. And I'm not doing the podcast for families. I'm doing it for people that are my age and into stuff that I'm into. And that's the beauty of the way stuff is consumed nowadays. Someone can choose what you're doing and yeah. choose to play it at a certain time. Whereas I guess with radio, it's slightly different. Because yeah. um, I'm trying to push for an evening show because I like the swears in my music. Yeah. I like the rude words. I like so the you can words. do that in an evening show? They just you say can, past nine. yeah. But it has to be after sort of nine or ten o'clock. Is it regulated though? Is there like four swear words an hour? Or no, no. <laughs> no, right. it's a free, free for all. Even a the C-bomb? Yeah, even the C-bomb. There's a guy that runs, uh, what does he do, death metal. He looks like, he totally looks the part as well. Right. Um, and his talk, and it's a subject matter as well. There's the F, there's the C, yeah. but there's also like, you know, fucking people when they're dead and stuff's coming out of them. Okay, and right. Yeah, like yeah. the subject matter is really dark. <laughs> and, and yeah, you can you can play what you want, but you just can't say it, which I find really strange. So I can play a song with the F and the C, but I can't say the F and the C. Crazy. Yeah. See, that in itself is ridiculous, yeah, surely. because people are hearing it, but they, yeah. I don't know what that's about, whether it's about l- your buying time in the, in a public air, in the public airways. Space, I, don't, yeah. I, I actually don't understand it, but it's an Ofcom thing. I have to represent the station. I can't say those words. Yeah. So off, what, what's Ofcom's involvement in a radio station? They control the airwaves. They're not listening. They just regulate. So, like, they've got a, a list of do's and don'ts. They, they basically... Uh, uh, regulate it so things like libel you can't you can't state something as a fact if it's not a fact you have to state that something's an opinion yeah you can't say anything discriminatory they've got they've got to have have those sort of rules in place um so yeah i mean you could argue that there's not going to be families listening to a show at 10 p.m at night but um technically if someone gets into their car and turns the radio on i guess it, you're in a public space aren't you in certain situations if you're playing in the factory right, i actually yeah, don't know but suppose. I don't understand why you'd be able to play a song with that in there, but you wouldn't be able to say it. That is not clear to me yet. Yeah, because it's still the same that you can only you listen if you want to listen. It's not like, I know it's on public radio. But That's the difference. I suppose if you if you consume a podcast, you're making a decision to download and you, and you, it or to you consume to it. it. But radio, you turn it on, it's <coughs> there and you can't control. You yeah. have less of a choice, I guess. If you hear something you don't like, you can choose to turn off. But you also you're um, accountable for what you say on there and stuff so yeah that's that's a bit nerve-wracking because you want to be opinionated you want to be edgy too right yeah <laughs> but that's how you, that's how you get listeners isn't it and i think i'm getting more and more into these days about for example some ufc fighters doing well and some not some being liked some being hated because mm. there's been a lot of talk about john jones and daniel cormier Okay, and, yeah. and on Joe Rogan, they talk about why Daniel Cormier or why John Jones wasn't always liked. Um, it's a long-winded way of making my point, by the way. Yeah. Um, in the origi- in the early days, he wasn't 
always being himself he was talking about god a lot and talking about being a good person and all this stuff but then meanwhile we find out that he's doing drugs and he's oh. involved in a hit and run and then and you realize that people can just smell bullshit when you're not yeah. being yourself people just kind of know yeah and i think that's something that i like about the podcast is you can just just be yourself and if you're not then people are going to smell it a mile away and just be like oh, definitely yeah, what are you yeah. about? especially in something like you this un it's unapologetically be yourself yeah you might not you might always have some terrible points but at least admit i was wrong on that one sorry yeah definitely and call each other and you're, what are you talking about just like you do as, as a friend yeah, you're you, not infallible yeah, yeah people will see that and it will seep out of you you know over time because it's such a free way of talking isn't it? yeah you, yeah you know, yeah but i bet it must be guess difficult doing it doing that for the radio but you can just be you you just have to be a bit careful yeah definitely. can you comment on current affairs and stuff like that yeah you can but you're supposed to do it in an unbiased way so if you say uh, you know same way the bbc do i guess if you we're not subject to the same things as the bbc but if you say something you know about trump for instance you've got to kind of say something from the other side as well so you've got to be kind of unbiased okay which is no fun really yeah uh, I, you've just got to find other ways of um, other ways of injecting your personality into it giving opinions on the music I guess yeah making jokes making observations yeah, yeah. so sorry you've, do, you've done the course and you've re recorded a few practice ones I've done one practice one so like we'd learn about something new every week like Ofcom or we do interview skills and then they'd really they'd only be like 15 minutes in the studio practicing our skills so everyone would be fighting and chomping at the bit to have a go so we've actually oh, only right. got really to link a few songs together and practice yeah. what to do um, so the sixth week I had to record a show um, it was an hour and a half long so there was lots to think about and I had to have a bit of variety in there as well yeah. I have never sweated so much really yeah it's like <laughs> yeah it's like i'd just done pe or something yeah awful Wicked. um and actually made me realize how exciting it is yeah because when you it almost feels like you're not in control of your own body and what you're saying right. when you would say something and it would start flowing so effortlessly and then you'd be getting to the, the end of your sentence and you think oh shit i've got to find the button i've got to find the music and you've got one <laughs> hand on this one hand on this the coordination everything just feels so alien to you, you know like right. when you learn to drive yeah and i remember having my left hand on the gear stick and thinking I'm not left-handed. It feels like someone else's. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Everything yeah, I just do, feels yeah. really wonky and like it doesn't really belong to you. Yeah. And I felt like I didn't have any personality. That's the thing I hated the most. Because right. although I can break it down into actions, I have to say this, then I have to press this button, yeah. and then I have to press this button. But then <laughs> in between, I was just being really stiff. And he said, that's just the environment. Once you get used to it. Yeah. And I just, the thing is, I'm so, I'm not even a perfectionist. I'm like the opposite of a perfectionist. But I do not want to go on the air if I don't sound like me. Right, yeah. Because what I'm finding is, um, the only time I'm ever under the spotlight in my life is when I'm at work. So the persona I adopt, the hat I put on at work, is like a professional speaking one, minding my P's and Q's, getting every single word right. And that's not how I want to sound, because yeah. that isn't how I talk. I want to talk how I do to my friends and my family. Yeah. Um, so, and that's the biggest challenge for me, actually. But you do that effort effortlessly at work, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, you, it's practice, isn't it? I think it's acting. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I have to withhold certain things. There's certain things I want to say, and I have to try and find a certain way of articulating that. Yeah. So that I'm not... Um, depends on your audience of course i think in my job i have to go into court and things like that so i really do have to mind what i say yeah and i have to buy into all of the sort of uh you know the hierarchy of it and stuff but if you're talking to a manager and you want to say this guy is a dirty birdie <laughs> you can sort of say it and she'll yeah. know where you're going with it but yeah i don't have anything where i have to have the spotlight on me yet try and rem remain relaxed it's yeah. just a really weird feeling but i think that will come as i get used to the environment definitely because you're used to the the other environment that you're speaking to and that's kind of high pressure in a way as well do you know what's just got me thinking actually of a point i've just made i actually <clears throat> i've got something the opposite i do actually have to remain affable and relaxed and friendly when i work with the people that i work with because i'm a probation officer yeah so i'm sitting across a table from someone who's done something naughty and i have to enforce them i have to supervise and i have to monitor them but i also have to gain their trust and i also have to communicate with them in a way that they understand yeah. so actually the more i think about it i do have to um try and remain relaxed and non-professional in certain circumstances adapt to my communication yeah. depending on what i'm doing yeah 
but um, that's not me either, is it? Talking to someone in that way. I can't no, say I the things not. sometimes you want to say to someone. But it's a part of you, isn't it? But it we've is all got different hats you have to wear. Right? That's a fair point, yeah. And it is acting, that's all it is. It's A lot of the time it's appearing more confident than you might feel, I think, sometimes. Yeah, which we all do most of the time, I think, at work particularly. Oh, God, But yeah. I think experience, well, experience does breed confidence, doesn't it? Definitely. So you've obviously got confidence at work because you're experienced. And I guess eventually... With the radio thing, it will be the same. And that's what worries me. Same I don't deal. think I'm really gonna. I'm never really. It's like driving again. It's like driving. You're not gonna get better at it until you do it. Yeah. So I, there is gonna be that first time I go on air, and I and I, I don't think I'm gonna be very good. I know it's not a very yeah. positive thing to say, but that is actually gonna be the truth. The first yeah. time I do it isn't gonna be a good representation of what I want it to be like. Yeah, that's something that again with podcasters have spoke about. Going back and listening to their first ever episode, they're like. I suck. Yes. That was terrible. Yes. But I suppose at least you just know that that's the worst you're ever going to be. Yeah. You're exactly. only going to get better the more you do it. That's a positive way of looking at it, yeah. yeah. And with podcasts as well, you have a series. People will be able to access a number of different episodes the first time they find out who you are. Yeah. Whereas people have got to listen to me for the first time and then decide whether to tune in again next week. That's yeah. what worries me. But I think being, bringing the human element to it, though, would be. For me, best, because you're at least showing people, well, by the way, I'm a bit nervous. Uh, oh, yeah. sorry, oh, I've just yeah. cut that up. Sorry, I'm going to get better at this. I'm a big believer in that. We were told when I was training, if you make a mistake, you can acknowledge the mistake, but don't, whatever you do, go on about it because it shows you up to be, you know, the mistake maker. Yeah. But um, I disagree slightly with that. If you can turn it around, if you're flapping about it, that's a different thing. Yeah. People need <laughs> to be listening and it needs to feel comfortable and not uncomfortable. You know, you need to feel like they're in safe hands, but... There's nothing wrong with making a joke. I, I dropped the biggest gaff, the first recorded show I ever did. So um, I queued up two tracks um, and I was going to link in between them. Is it on a com um, all on a computer? Yeah, I use um, uh, yeah an interface which uses Spotify, which right. allows oh, you to okay. queue up tracks from Spotify. Some people use vinyl and of course they won't need that. But oh, it so depends it's, not, on it's different for each... Um you do what you want. Okay, cool. Yeah, and you use your own music as well, so you've got to find the way that works for your own music. Um, so I'd queued a track up, and it started playing, and then, I don't know if you know like what the, the mixer interface looks like on a laptop. Or t I don't know if you know, you've got one track moving, and then you've got deck free, and you've got to queue up another track yeah. into the empty deck. Yeah. I was sort of not outwardly flapping, because the song was playing. It's your time to sort of gather yourself I went to drag up my next track and I put it into the deck that was already playing. Oh. So what the listener could hear was a nice bit of Roxy music. <laughs> and then halfway through, just cut into some... Tosh. Yeah, some Skepta or whatever it was. And it was just it just sounded obviously awful. Yeah. But I made a joke about it. I think you can't, you can't really not, can you? Yeah, definitely. I, in fact, when you've heard... When I've heard mistakes happen on radio... And they don't mention it. You're about. It's a bit like. Yeah. Well, there. You feel a bit tricked. You want yeah. your moment, don't you? To sort of, you know, do the British thing of pointing at people and laugh at them when they've made a mistake. It's only right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that totally. <gasps> oh. um, but that's probably uh, a good segue to talk about the. I was about to say criminal psychology, but it's not. It is criminals. You, did you study criminal psychology? No, but there's different modules. The degree is community and criminal justice. So it's made up of loads of different... There's a psychology bit, there's a sociology bit, there's a law bit. Um, and we there's cognitive behavioural therapy we use in our appointments. Right. There's loads of different modules uh, that look at different reasons why people commit crimes, which is what I'm about, what right. I'm interested in. You sort of drift away from that bit when you're doing a job. You just end up going through the motions and yeah. of the day. But at yeah. the time, you're immersed in it. You're thinking about... Why do people do the things they do? And you lose the curiosity a little bit when you're actually doing the job because you're all about that individual and how did they get where they are and trying to understand them as a person. The theoretical side of things goes a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there is always the bigger picture. There yeah. is, yeah, people's backgrounds, people's socioeconomic backgrounds, people's brains, uh, which isn't talked about as much. It's not that's frowned upon a little bit more these days. What's all about people's brains? Yeah, like people's physiology. And okay. Oh, okay. There is there is stuff about it's quite old considered old fashioned unless there's stuff that's developed in recent years that I don't know about. That's entirely possible. Yeah. But there was stuff like in the twenties about um what was his name? Lom Lombroso or something his name was and he said that um 
that there was a certain physiology that could be identified amongst people that you'd find in prison or people in courts. Right. And he would describe them as having like wider noses. And actually, there was a lot of criticism that when you stepped back and looked, he was sort of describing black and ethnic minority people. Right. So that was frowned upon. He wasn't explicitly saying that. Although there is an over-representation of black people in, in prisons. That's, that's a fact. Yeah. But it's an over-representation, meaning that you know, there's too many. So why is that? Is that the system yeah. arresting them more than... Um, more than is necessary, like institutional bias, or is there something to do with backgrounds that, that needs to be looked at and stuff? Yeah, so um, yeah, that side of things is frowned upon for that reason because you're sort of making generalizations about people. But yeah. <coughs> I used to work on a lifer unit um, quite a few years ago in prison. Um, so these are people that have done the worst things, therefore the most money and the most resources get spent on them. They'll chuck anything at them to try and understand and prevent them from doing it again. Okay. So in order to help us... You, go, you go into a prison to do, to do the work, to do this? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you find this interesting or not, but the probation service works with every part of the sentence. We don't work with people before they're convicted, right. but we go into courts and we interview and write reports on people before they're sentenced and we advise the court on what the sentence should okay, be. Right. Court have a final decision, of course. Then we work with them after the sentence, either to carry out the sentence or parts of the sentence. And then if people are serving long prison sentences, we have to make recommendations to the parole board as to whether they should be released or whether they should be transferred to open conditions. So okay, yeah. when I was in the LIFER, based on the LIFER unit, it was a team of probation someone who's serving a life sentence which is how long um well it's it's indeterminate so uh mandatory life sentences for murder so you might hear you know see on the news and stuff when someone commits a murder is convicted they get sentenced to a life sentence with a tariff of 20 years right so um they have to serve 20 years and they're not going to come out before that regardless of how well they do in no. prison right they have to prove that their risk is reduced so they they won't come out before t- they could serve 20 years on the dot like this war boys guy that's been in the news much controversy about that um or you could do 30 you could do 40 you could never come out if you're not safe to do so or you can't demonstrate that you're, you're safe to do so i mean that's unlikely that you never come out but um that is possible if you get sentenced later on in your life and you get a 30-year tariff for instance yeah um so it gets very tense it gets very fraught people have been in there for ages times have changed they want to get out they want to start their life and they want you to write a good report on them so it's really tense so the people that have done the worst stuff they get psychologists they get analysis they get reports sometimes they hire their own psychologists if they want you know they want to try and investigate something themselves if their system wants to help them do that but um you'd see it come up every now and again someone who'd done a massive wrong had like been dropped on the head as a child. And that is something that would be sort of looked at for everyone. What's their childhood? Anything happened in their childhood? Then things started to go wrong. And now and again, you would see someone pinpointed some sort of incident where they'd got a head injury that affected their brain. So that does does come into it. Uh, Physiology can be important, but of course that detracts from other stuff like environmental factors and... Um, people taking responsibility for their actions, you yeah. know, people choosing to do stuff. Because for every person that's dropped on their head and murders someone, there's someone that's dropped on their head and goes on to be, Only you charity. know, one yeah. of life's good eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think the what you were saying about um, it becomes a bit of a job. I know exactly what you mean there, and and I've found recently when obviously I've left the sound engineering because I'd had enough of it. Yeah. And now I'm kind of back doing it. I've really got to try and make my peace for now with it, which is something I can do. And previously, I, I realised it w- it's a bit of a mindset as well. I'm thinking about it too much. This is actually a good job, and I can enjoy it. Yeah. And I've spoke about um, I've spoke to someone about this recently. Just trying to stay curious with things, which again is what I've called this podcast, a curious cat, because it's something I've learned about myself. Is that I am naturally curious. Definitely, yeah. And there's something about being in a growth mindset or a, a protection mindset. Some people might call it a fixed mindset. There's a good book on it, actually, called Mindset. Right. And how if you're in growth, you're in growth when you're having fun, when you're enjoying yourself, when you're learning a new skill. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you're too nervous when you're learning a new skill and you go into protection, like, I can't do this, this is too much, this is too hard, shut yourself off, yeah. I'm not a learning. Yeah, where I am. Yeah. yeah. But when you stay curious with things... 
I think it can really open up how much you're enjoying it and stuff like that. And I've tried to do that recently with with work, just stay a bit more curious about what the job is, the bigger picture, like you yes. were just saying, rather than just, I'm setting up speakers today and I'm yes. putting out a microphone for this person. It's like, what is this job I'm doing? What are this? What is this? Sometimes it's just a Vodafone conference and there's not much I can get from it. But <laughs> Dante fires. <laughs> <laughs> but other times you can, you can find these things to stay curious about. And I think that's just true for anything you're doing really is if you if by staying curious yes. you can enjoy enjoy things a lot more to me that is that is something a lot of people in their 30s are going through they choose a career because they think it's going to give them a b and c they do it they've done it for a bit and then they're like oh is this it then is this yeah, you yeah. know is this what i'm doing but i think what you've done is you've taken responsibility yeah you you got to a point where it felt a bit stale and I remember you telling me a story about that we can go into it which I actually always think about and it really? motivates me I'll remind you of it yeah. in a minute <laughs> but um you have to take responsibility for your own life yeah so you get to a point in your career where things maybe they are a bit monotonous it isn't exciting every day it isn't maybe even what you thought it was going to be yeah you have to take responsibility to look at what that means for you. If it's working for me right now, I need to understand what the good parts are of it and what I don't like about it. Is it enough that makes me want to leave? If I'm not going to leave, how can I get the most out of it? And that's actually a good, um, you know, a good way to live life. I, I actually, yeah. I, don't, I hope I'm not stealing your point, <laughs> but um, life actually is like that as well. Life throws you at the old plot twist. Yeah. And actually you have to think, oh, okay, that didn't quite work out how I thought, but what have I got and what can I do and how can I appreciate? And that's what it is. It's living in the present rather than sort of being anxious about what you might have chosen instead, which yeah. you can sometimes do. Have I made a mistake choosing this? Or getting anxious about the future. Am I going to be doing this forever? Yeah. I don't really like it. It's going to make me unhappy. What else can I do? I've bought into this now. I've spent so much time. I've invested in it. Um, you know, part of it is actually being in the present and appreciating the now rather than always being anxious about what, what's not right. Yeah. Because you, this is where you are now. This is what you've been given, whether you've chosen it or not. So you have to sort of make the best of it. Yeah. You've just made multiple good points then. There's multiple lots to go points. on there, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. You Absolutely can, there you is. You can wallow in it or you can... Because um, like for my, my job, for instance, I, I'm, I'm a freelancer in the criminal justice system. The job itself is not very challenging because there's lots of different roles you can do operations there is i'm doing something which is less challenging the people i work with are less challenging they're less risky yeah. so it's less rewarding and there's less you can do because there's less resources and i'm working for the private bit which is a little bit of my professional identity being dented and you know I don't like working for a private company. I want to work for the government. I want to be a civil servant. So I've got all of that going on. But actually, am I having the time of my life yeah. with the work-life balance? I get to work from home. I've got a great manager. These are the things that are really important. Because yeah. people don't appreciate these things. Then they move on. And then they think, oh, exactly now I'm work. Is that what happened to you? Yeah, what, you, exactly you moved that. on to work for someone that wasn't quite as laid back? No, or? it was it would, as in the shop. Gotcha. I was like, yeah. whoa, this is this is a pair of handcuffs. Yes. I was completely free before, but not completely free, but very free. And mm. now I'm tied to this thing that I have to do. I remember looking at people as I'd nip out to the bank. Yeah. Looking at people just sitting about in coffee shops, shopping. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I used to have that. Yeah. Like I used to have random weekdays off. Now I work six days a week and then do accounts on a Sunday. Yeah. Is this what owning my own business is like? like yeah. Shit, what have I done? Yeah, been there. So what did you, how did you, instead of making that negative, how did you make that a positive? I could only do it once it was all done and dusted and I'd sold the business on. Not sold the business, but sold the lease on. At the time, at the time I couldn't. It was a case of, right, I've got to fix this. I knew I was in a bad spot and I had to fix it and I had mm. to make a decision on what I'd was going to do and it's only now that I can see the positives I'm in such a better light coming back into the sound engineering now and I'm not saying I'm going to do it forever mm. but again other freelancers in the industry don't realise how well we have it yes they do not have a clue they're focused on the negatives yeah and don't appreciate like they're the complaining about the, the standard of hotel the standard of food we're being given 
and got, they don't. I don't think they know what some of the alternatives are. Yeah. Because they can suck. Yeah. Just having having money. Just go from being a person that's got money to having shit all to yeah. w- to to been there. Yeah. To stopping yourself from going to buy a, a Costa because you're like, I shouldn't be spending this three quid. Yeah. Do that for a while. Mm-hmm. And then see, and then complain about how bad your food is on this particular gig. It's like perspective is huge. So when you huge. come back in, yeah, which you've actually come full circle to what you left. You you're in doing actually doing the same thing, but your mindset is different, and yeah. you look at it differently. Yeah, completely. so many stories like that. But actually, you followed your dream as well, which a lot of people don't dare to do. Yeah, I've got a, it's very similar to your story. Actually, one of my best friends from school. Very successful in the corporate world. Husband, very successful. Why on earth would they would leave it? You, you would have no idea. They were travelling here, there and everywhere. Ostentatious lifestyle. The champers, the designer clothes. And they thought, actually, I really would like a cafe yeah. in Devon. And it was a, they'd done it well. They, the, the coffee machine was top-notch. Design, the, the interior was just what you'd want it to be. But exactly as you've said, the idea of it, matched with the reality the disparity is real do you know what i mean and they had to scale down their lifestyle and they think i think they had a wedding anniversary and this is such a funny little anecdote um about how two people decide to actually knock it on the head and who said who dares to say it first you know what i mean yeah so they they (laughs) decided to spend a little bit of money on their wedding anniversary and they went to a hotel somewhere they were in a hot tub they had some champagne. This is not the sort of thing that they were allowing themselves to do these days. Yeah. So they sat there. The female, my friend, she is outspoken. She just sipped the champagne and there was like a very pregnant pause and she just went, I really like doing things like this. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, oh, okay, me too. And she went, yeah, I'd like to do it a bit more, maybe all the time. And I was like, yeah, you know, but we've got a cafe now, haven't we? And she said, maybe not have the cafe you know and it was just like (laughs) someone had to say it first um it was they built something to be proud of but i think also you imagine how it's going to be um and i've had a little tiny go at running an independent food business and what you how you consume things it's so different being the other side of the counter you know i've had a bit of a hand in um like a gourmet burger van basically and you have all these exciting ideas about how you want the burger to be. And we can make one like this, and we can make one like this. And you get excited and you put it on the board and you set up for the day and everyone just wants a cheeseburger. Yeah. The, the general yeah. public are not you, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's a really big realisation, isn't it? Yeah, Did you find that as well in the 100%, shop? 100%, yeah. So the, the rats become the most popular thing. And for me, in my head was, I, w- I want to come away from bread because I want to eat less bread and I want to help other people eat less bread. Mm. Um, for whatever reasons, but it was just no wraps the most popular, particularly ones with melted cheese in it and things like that. Yeah, and then it's just like ah, oh, right, okay. So we've moved away what, from I what see I what's actually happening here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just because I would happily eat a salad for lunch every day, most of my customers probably don't care. They just want a sandwich and to get the hell out of there. So maybe this isn't for me. Mm. Like I, I was quite specific when I first wrote my business plan. I didn't want Coca Cola. In, in the fridge yeah not that I want to be a snob you know if it's you drink Coca-Cola if you want whatever but for me I, I didn't want to be part of the problem I didn't want to push that I wanted mm. to help be healthier because I think once if you get healthy personally then you can deal with a lot of other shit you might oh, want yeah. to deal with um, but then after talking to the business mentor he kind of brought me back down to reality and it's like there's no money coming in and blah 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 and he's, he's Perhaps it's time to put some coke on the shelves and perhaps you should start doing muffins in the morning and and perhaps you should start offering some bacon rolls in the morning and stuff Who like that. Who said that? My business mentor. Okay. Because um, he was real, you know, he's a proper a proper business mentor. He would give it to me straight, give mm. it to me pretty hard. He's like, fair enough if you do want to go healthy, but you're not in the city. You're not, you haven't got that target market that you right. have built your business for. So maybe it's time to start pivoting a little bit or jack it in. Mm. And I chose, chose Did he present that as an option? Um, Did he actually say it? Not really. He, so he certainly said it was him who got me to start doing toasted wraps and things like that. Yeah. And they started flying off the shelf. Every, right. Everything he s- suggested was right and started bringing in money. Okay. But then I realised it was coming away from what I wanted to originally yeah. do. 
but he was proper business mentor. He was about the bottom line. He wasn't necessarily Mr. Are you enjoying this? Yeah, so it wasn't about like integrity or your vision or your no, passion. No, no, no. This was hard line business, mm. bottom line kind of shit. Bear in mind, the same guy who said to me, and I often think about this, um, when I was having trouble with making a decision to walk away, because everything entrepreneurial you read is don't quit, keep going. Yeah. Success is just on the other side of yeah. when you want to quit and all this. And that was so much ingrained in my head. You can't quit. And then after speaking to somebody who's actually a hypnotherapist I went to go and see, and they said about there's absolutely no shame in walking away from something mm. you're just not enjoying. Mm. If you, That was the hardest bit is to turn around and just admit, I am not enjoying this. Mm. All right, well, let's walk away then. Mm. But, and I remember talking to him about it and he said, um, he specifically said to me, I've never quit anything in my life. And I feel like, kind of cool but at the same time now after talking to a hypnotherapist I've got a different take on this and he used to own a sandwich shop he was quite a, quite a big deal in the food industry this guy he'd right. helped grow a couple of the big London chains he was involved early with prep All he right. was also involved with um, crush which are a big kind of hip food kind of okay, vibe yeah. in, in London and he helped grow them uh, and he used to own a sandwich factory shop sorry um, and he hated it. He admitted that he hated it, but he did it for 15 years. But you could see he was partly proud that he'd never quit anything in his life. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, he then admitted to me, I fucking hated yeah. it. I hated my staff. It made me a horrible person, blah, blah, blah. But it was a weird one, you know? Yeah. It's but while you're sticking with it, you still don't know if it's going to work. And you're moving away from why you started it in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, he was... It was very much a business orientated rather than yeah which was right for me because i needed hard facts to make decisions i think yeah but at the same time i'm 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 a bit more don't really want to use the word sensitive but i probably should it that's more my communication style is are you enjoying this is this what you what you want your life to be about yeah. or is it just different talking to him about that because he was more yeah like i said business and enjoyment so that that just shows it was right you walked away then. Yeah, massively. And that was going back to the point we sort of made a while ago that I didn't realise started to take the positives until until now, until I look back. It actually took me a while to get over the whole thing generally because I felt so stupid for going so hard and then and bringing family with me and then having to turn around and say to them, oh, I'm not really enjoying this, this was a mistake, like that. I felt so stupid for doing that. And I've only really just got over it. Really? Yeah. But now, I'm, the, the lessons I've took, and I think you've spoke about this, is some of the biggest ones are getting to know yourself. And I think that's, again, going back to what you said about in your 30s, I think that's when you start to really get to know yourself a bit better. Yeah. In your 20s, I was, couldn't give a shit what was going on. I was just chasing fun and the future is somewhere in the future yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and then you hit your 30s and then you just start asking all these questions right yeah you started to achieve some of the goals it's not quite how you thought yeah um so sometimes you have to have a rethink massively um yeah they're calling it a quarter life crisis aren't they for a lot of people but there's so many people that change careers in their 30s right. it's really common i think yeah. that's what it is people are a bit disillusioned with the things they chose mainly a lot of it's to do with the ridiculous pressure on teenagers to decide university course they're going to do or what yeah. career they're going to have when they don't even know who they are yeah what path they're going to have yeah you don't know yourself do you and what your skills are no what you might want to do in your 20s is definitely not what you might want to do in your 30s nope. as well probably all of us discover yeah so i think that's a lot of what's to do with it you actually have a good sense of self good sense of identity and then you can get yourself back on track yeah i think you have to go through some shit stuff to even get to the point to ask them questions because that's how I made myself realise is I actually sat down when I was making a decision, invest more and make a go of this thing that I've started or knock it on the head and walk away. Yeah. And I just had kept asking myself, what do you want from your life? Like, what do you want? And that that just got me to the decision so much quicker. 
I was like, I don't really know, but I do not want this. Because work is just one part of it, isn't it? Yeah, massively. And work isn't either going to, it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you unhappy. It's just one part of it. And if it starts to seep into other areas of your life and ruin, you know, the time you've got with your partner, your self-esteem and yeah. all that, it really can, can't it? Yeah. Um, that's when you realise that there's so much more to life than just work. Definitely. Which I think must be something that, like, you've had a double bombshell in the last few years that, only seems to have from the outside you could talk to this better than <coughs> I could only seems to have in the long run done you I don't know it just seems so positive now which is just sounds stupid to say but it, it, for some reason it feels like it is to me yeah well it, it looks I from the outside it looks like my life is more positive and better yes. since all this bad stuff happened yes. yeah yeah I think that is a mindset thing my mindset appreciating what I've got because really not a great deal has changed other than that i'm not in a marriage anymore and yeah. i've been through some stuff but i'm essentially the same person i do a similar kind of job got the same dog the same family live in the same area but for some reason yeah i think it's a mindset thing i, I appreciate what i have got yeah you can get sucked into the abyss sometimes and that's i'm only human yeah it's absolutely. not all 100%. roses and yeah, i yeah, think yeah. Um, that is make. the outside that is the outside view and it's probably worth saying as well I get this sometimes I'm quite an avid social media user yeah like Instagram for instance people often say oh you've been up to some good stuff life's good for you isn't it and yeah, I just yeah. think well yeah it is it's really good and I can talk about how I you know appreciate what I've got and how Instagram works for me actually because it gets a bad rap but I think I, it's actually improved my life and I'm quite happy to talk about how that is but yeah. like that is just me showing the good bits yeah, I don't 100%. Instagram when I'm lonely at <laughs> home your, on my own <laughs> what's, your, um, what's your tag on Instagram cracks me up every time what tag what my name no no not the tag sorry the in, in your bio in, insta oh, reality oh, yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah um, what is it insta Insta reality, bon vivant. That's it. Actual reality, onion ring enthusiast. <laughs> and that, that is true, yeah. yeah. My Instagram makes my life look a lot more exciting than it is. Yeah. But that's just because, I don't know, I use Instagram in a way which is to appreciate what I'm doing. I document what I'm doing. And do yeah. you know what? That's call, what it's good for, right? Call me a twat, but I love nothing more than a scroll through my own Instagram <laughs> just yeah. to appreciate what I've been doing yeah, and the opportunities yeah. I've taken the mindset that I've got. Um, you're a twat, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> massive twat. You would have to look at my Instagram. Insta twat, I think the phrase is. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it makes me appreciate the now. Yeah. And that is what I'm trying to do. Um, like I say, there's a lot of dark moments still yeah. where I feel lonely and I don't, insta I don't document those and I don't Instagram those. Yeah, funnily enough. <laughs> funnily enough, no one wants to know about that. But um, yeah, I think you're right. You have to have had dark moments to appreciate the, li the light moments. Yeah. Um, and to understand more about what you want and you don't want from yeah, life. So which is massive. Yeah, and obviously I had a really big health scare as well, didn't I, like a few years ago? Yeah, well, that's the two sort of things that I, was, I was talking about, obviously the divorce and then the, the health scare as well. Yeah, within six weeks. <laughs> is, it a weird question, is it a weird question to ask which felt, which, which was bigger? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because... <laughs> that is that is one of the biggest things people i remember people saying at the time we're gonna have to go to don we're gonna have to get her we're gonna have to take her somewhere she can't deal with both of these things at once yeah um but actually one outshone the other right so my marriage broke down and then six weeks later i was diagnosed with cancer it sounds like one of those sob porn books doesn't <laughs> it like all these bad things that happen at once no, literally you can write it to be everyone leans in but they are interlinked and i will talk about it right um, so yeah, I was going through a divorce, uh, not a divorce, a, a marriage breakdown, which was like quite traumatic circumstances. It wasn't just we had a chat and decided we didn't want to be together anymore. There was some, you know, big revelations and uncoverings, as you well know. Yeah. Um, lots of betrayal and what have you. So I was dealing with that, and I thought, and I was, I was sort of trying to come to terms with the fact that I felt not good enough at that moment in time yeah. and then six weeks later I was diagnosed with cancer um and it was almost like a light switch immediately the relationship stuff didn't matter right I started to not worry about that anymore how mad is that isn't that funny yeah isn't that funny the worst thing that had ever happened to me within a day 
didn't matter really? anymore. Really, it was, it was yeah, like that. Immediately, immediately, because it's I oh know it's not it's not a fun topic. When you're diagnosed with cancer, there's this period of time where you know you've got it, but you don't know how bad it is. Okay. Oh so right. there's this period of time where they've tested you, and it's like there was no clear margin. So yeah, sorry, you've got cancer, but we also need to have a little look around and scan you in different ways and examine you and find out wh- whether it's spread. So I had, I think it was only 10 days for me. It can be longer for other people. Yeah. Um, so I had three different scans so they could find out where it had gone. And during that 10 days, I contemplated my own death, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, because when you're dealing with... So you with know nothing. You know you've got cancer. Yeah. And you'll, you had to wait 10 days until you find out how severe yeah, it is. Yeah, the results of all the scans and different things Shit, I had to put me in for. Yeah. And to make it worse, um, it was cervical cancer, which we are lucky enough to be tested for as women every three years. Right. And I hadn't been for a long time for various reasons, which is quite relevant to this podcast, actually. Right. Um, and actually, I, ca- I counted back and it had been eight years since I'd had a test. So I s- imagine all the stuff that can go on inside your body un- unmonitored for eight years. Yeah, right. I started to feel things that, I, that weren't there and right. convinced myself I was dying. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, like I had to be prescribed sleeping tablets and stuff because I was just up in the night thinking it's it's in my neck, <laughs> which is funny now because it doesn't work like that. You know, it doesn't yeah. spread from your cervix <laughs> to your neck. The body doesn't join in that way. But um, yeah, like, and also when you're dealing with a crisis, it's like a self-protection mechanism. If you imagine the worst, yeah. then if it does happen, at least you've gone there and you've contemplated it. Okay, yeah. So if they you told me that yourself, I would never right. recover... At least it's not a shock because I'm already thinking, I already prepared. That's like a self-protection thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, these 10 days went by and I didn't sleep very much. I was in a right old state. Wouldn't let anyone in the house because I didn't, I was so obsessed with being good company that I didn't, it's really weird. The funny things that you go through. Yeah. Um, And then during that 10 days, I didn't once think about really obsess about my future relationships or think about my divorce or worry about, you know, what had happened with my husband and all that kind of thing. Um, I was worried about being alive and and yeah, be it just being alive. Yeah, uh, and I made all these sort of like childish statements in my head, like if I get through this and I live, then I'm going to go on and do this. And I I don't always appreciate life in the way that I should, and I still do stupid things. I still swear at people when I'm driving. I still make judgments about people. But it's part of being human, I think, isn't it? Exactly. But my mindset on life is slightly different because I have sort of stared death in the face anyway to round it off I am all right and it was actually caught quite early (laughs) Um, and it was dealt with by surgery so that actually worked out quite well but I went there in my own mind and that's the important thing even though sometimes when I meet someone new I say I've had cancer oh my god how bad was it and I'll say well it was in the cervix and it was stage one oh that's okay just a splash Uh, so yeah they don't realize that kind of period that you go through yeah um but yeah it is interesting dealing with two traumatic things at once one ouch on the other yeah i sometimes think about it every now and again and think did that really help and actually put things in perspective actually this is just a twat that didn't deserve me anyway yeah and and it's more important to be alive and take opportunities that life offers you or or did it just delay it and it came back to bite me in the bum later i don't know i haven't haven't decided what i think about that whether it's just delayed it or not but um, at the time, I think you can only deal with so much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And your brain will shut off to other yeah. things. So them ten days. Mm. What what else goes through your head? I can remember doing weird autopilot things immediately. So like immediately, as I was told, I didn't. Because it's funny when you watch it in soaps. The doctor always kind of like does it in a certain way. He kind of, we've got some bad news and we'd like you to take it, take a seat. This geezer had no bedside manner whatsoever. He was like, um, called me back in. I thought it was a checkup or something. I knew that my test results had been, um, when I had my smear, which is a normal test that everyone goes through, I had like high grade cell changes, which is not, is, is not unusual went back for them to scrape the cells out, which is actually a biopsy is what they don't tell you. Right. He said, oh, that looks a bit tender. Come back in a couple of weeks. And that's not normal. So I just thought he was going to come back and have a lover look. But he just kind of sat me down and went, hmm, we've looked at the bit that we took and I'm afraid. And he sort of did this head on my side thing. Yeah, it's, it's cancer. 
And that was not good enough for me because I wanted the full information and he obviously couldn't give me it because all, all the tests had to be done. And I went into a weird autopilot because I wasn't expect that wasn't on my radar at all. Not at even all. remotely. Not even remotely. Shit. So I went into, and then I did some really strange things and everyone just l- sort of abused me for it at the time. I rang up my line manager and told her that I wouldn't be coming in, in um, to work today and that I had a meeting at two with Wendy. And could you let Wendy know? And they were like, Donna, go away, <laughs> go <laughs> home and sort yourself out. And I was like, oh, but I think I've got some, you know, I went into a weird sort of, I don't know what I was doing, whether yeah. I was trying to be practical or whatever. And then I rang my sister and told her, and then I drove to my parents and told them, which is something you never want to do. But over, I, I think I spent a weekend with them and I didn't want to fall apart. This in front is pretty of much immediately. Imme- immediately. I left hospital, picked up the dog and drove to my parents yeah. and told them. Um, and I spent a weekend with them and I was so... I don't think I cried in front of them or anything. I just told them. And I was like, but, it, you know, it's going to be fine. They said it's the slowest growing cancer. And I sort of, po- you know, was quite dismissive of it. Actually, that started to rub off on me a little bit. Yeah. I got a message on my answer phone over the weekend from the cancer nurse saying, I'd just like to introduce myself. My name's, you know, Sharon or whatever. And we'd like to see you if you want to, but you don't have to. This is all very, all very, um, nothing to worry about until we know more and, and I, I bought into it and went okay and I just deleted it and carried on with my weekend then I got back to my own house on the Monday on my own as is often the way when you you live on your own yeah it's just you and your own thoughts at the end of the day yeah and everyone's gone gone home the telly's off and you get into bed it's just your own thoughts and it cr- the dread crept in immediately and I started to ruminate on things I didn't have anyone to bounce anything off and actually I didn't feel like I could talk to family members because I didn't want to worry them yeah because you want to share your your you know your darkest fears um and every time i asked a nurse they couldn't reassure me because they didn't know yeah and i remember the nurse saying um you know you need to go and get some like tranquilizers which actually the doctor wouldn't give to me because apparently that you know you can get addicted to them easily or whatever but i did get sleeping tablets um so i took those but continued ruminating on it over and went in to see them and asked them for reassurance that I was going to be okay and that I was going to live. And they couldn't say, they couldn't say yes. And that was the worst thing. I just wanted someone to just tell me. Um, she tried to reassure me as much as she could. Yeah. She said, it's unlikely. I really think that if it was more advanced, you would have experienced some other symptoms, which is a really good way of putting it. You know, yeah. she couldn't reassure me, but she told me what she thought based on the information that she'd got. She said, but yeah. again, I can't guarantee to you. Um, so what I did was go out for dinner with my friend Amy and I just asked her at the end of the dinner, will I be okay, Amy? Will I live? And she went, yes, of course you will. And that was like all I wanted to hear. Yeah. Amy, she's not a medical professional. She's Amy Tuffin from Hadley. <laughs> but she, just her say, saying to me, of course you will. Of course you're going to be fine. Yeah. I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> why, yeah. why is it that we can so rely on our friends for an unjudgmental ear when yes. we can't our own families? Yeah, it's mad. Protecting them. Yeah, yeah. That's part part of it because I was just thinking, you probably could say all these fears to your mum and dad. I'd imagine, yes, it is going to hit them pretty hard as well. But that's kind of what they're there for at the same time, isn't it? Yeah. And I've learned that as I learned it with the shop. I was I talked to mum about it quite a lot, and Mm. I got comfort in just being completely honest. Could you felt you could do that? Yeah, mm. it, it was tricky at first, but I I actually liked hearing mum tell stories of when they were struggling, when mm. me and my brothers were all young. That helped me knowing that other people have been through it as well. But yeah, it is mad. I, I find that as well. You do, you can rely on your friends for. A, I could tell my friends that I've done something really shit today. By the way, yes, and they'd be like, "Oh, right, what have you done?" Yeah, and they wouldn't. I suppose it, it goes hand in hand. They're not your parents, they're your friends. And yeah. Your parents do judge you because they're your parents and they're going to give you shit if you've done shit. There's this weird dynamic between you and your parents, though, because especially with something like that, and I think it's different with you in the shop because your mum was there with you every day and she could see she was very aware of the pressures, wasn't she? Yeah. And what the customer was doing and how that made you feel and how she imagined that made you feel. I think yeah. she she probably had full empathy with you. And I don't think you could have said much that would have surprised her. But I think there is this weird dynamic when you confide in your parents about your fears because you don't want to worry them. Yeah. And then when you tell them the fear, they don't want to act shocked because they don't want to worry you. And yeah, you're both yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah, everyone's right. protecting everyone and no one's yeah. really saying what it's they think. Vicious. Yeah, you're right. It's a weird dynamic. You're absolutely right. I think I thought 
if I am going to die or if this is like stage four where it's spread and they can't get rid of it, then I can be totally honest and then I can tell them I'm scared of dying. Yeah. And I'll unleash it. But until then, I'll keep a lid on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you like reflect in in 10 days at all? Does it ever get that serious, your thought of dying? What do you mean reflect? Just like, did you start thinking about your life as in shit if this is it what's it been like do you know what yes, I mean yes yeah a little bit yeah do you get there or not yeah 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 a little you bit yeah um, I started to feel really sad about the things I hadn't done yet and the things really? I wanted to do and I felt like you know when someone dies and they say oh they had so much to live for that's how I felt yeah. I felt there was so much stuff I still wanted to do yeah. and that put like quite a positive spin on it cool. because you could coupled with like the marriage breakdown you could la- allow something like that to reflect on yourself yeah and think well i'm no good no good for that or i wasn't considered good enough for that but i never had that yeah. i never felt like that that's yeah. a self-confidence thing i think um i i never let it reflect on me i always let it reflect on them and i know not everyone can do that and i think that depends on the circumstances and i think i probably would have been different if it was a mystery woman that i'd never met before yeah you know like you see on the telly and tv and screen don't you if if you know, a man meets a woman in a club and it's like, who is she? And then they go, they go rifling through the phone and the, the, yeah, tr- yeah. the social media to try and find a picture of her. How shiny is her hair? How big are her boobs? Yeah. And this sort of thing. I actually knew the person, as you know. Yeah. And it's not the dumb thing in this country to say to say this, but I I sort of had a full confidence in myself that I was that he'd not gone on to something better. Yeah. That's yeah. a self confidence thing, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's not arrogance, but you've got to cling on to what you've got, haven't you, in times like that? You 100%, know? yeah, definitely. Well, it's whatever works, isn't it? Like you yeah. said, you've got to cling on to what you've got. And this podcast isn't about what's the done thing. It's about being as honest as possible. And if as honest as possible is... Yeah, comparison's not always I'm healthy, that but... I'm then fucking say it. Yeah, it, that, in that moment in time, it did help, it did yeah. help me. Helps that I knew her character, I knew what she looked like. I knew, I knew her very well, so... Um, I sort of made that judgment and like you say if it helps go with it yeah like you, you make a good point it might not be right but if it works for you then go with it yeah as long as you're not hurting anyone else in the meantime then yeah absolutely the time people die of cancer and there's nothing they can do about it yeah, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean yeah but um, what I was saying earlier about actually people think it's unlucky that the marriage ended and then that cancer came six weeks later it, it's an important point to make about self-care because i lost myself a little bit in the relationship right we were going through linked to what we talked about earlier yeah we were starting our own business our own food business which was totally immersed in us and we were drowning a little bit in yeah. some of the th- exactly some of the things you've discussed yeah. um and he was really suffering resettling from the army and stuff and i actually learn a really valuable lesson there because I just focused everything on him and I wasn't looking out for me at all and when I moved out of the marital home I'm a bit of a list maker and I found list after list after list going spanning years where things had been ticked off and crossed off and the one thing that was never crossed off was book smear test and I wasn't looking yeah a list after list um and I wasn't looking after myself and interestingly you talked about how did you cope when it ended one of the first things I did after the marriage sort of ended was book the smear test like within about three days and I don't know what's going on there whether I just thought it's my it's t- my time now time to look out you know put myself to the top of the list no one, yeah. no, no one else is going to do it yeah and it's such a fascinating thing that's one of the first things I did booked a smear test in three days so that that that's why the, the diagnosis was so quick because I switched my focus on to me yeah that's, that's what that was yeah yeah it's quite a story yeah, you sort of all the what ifs. What if we'd have stayed together and I never booked the test? Yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? Hell, yeah, it's mental. Yeah, because I could have easily carried on the way I was. I mean, no, I wasn't really having that many sim- not that many symptoms really. Yeah, I think not that I noticed at the time, but uh, you, you look back and there were some. But I could have gone on for years yeah. not booking that test. It would have been a very different story. So all very weird how everything links up and one thing leads to another. Yeah, how do you? Um, What's your mindset on on your um, ex-husband and stuff now? I I get asked this actually, and I don't feel anything. I don't feel um, that I miss him. I don't feel that I love him. I don't feel angry because I actually never did. I never did feel angry because 
I lived with him and I saw, I mean, it's no excuse, but actions are always underpinned by an emotion and a thought. And he made some really stupid decisions and a lot of it was his own fault. But he came out of the army with no real plan. Yeah. Thought that it was going to be better than it was. Had the old rose-tinted specs on. Thought, oh, I'll open a, I'll open a burger business and um, I'll get this amazing old van from France and do it up and um, it'll be great. He was always a little bit like that. Uh, he didn't leave with a plan. So I kind of, I think I, I am uh, naturally over empathic with people, uh-huh. even wrong ones. Maybe that's why I do the job <laughs> I do. But um, yeah, I can, I can see how it came about very easily. Yeah, because that, that's something that interests me is um, people coming out of the army and then trying to make a life for themselves or even athletes retiring from sport and then what they're going to do next is like coming down from that. Mm. That's something I was obsessing with while I was in uh, South Korea working away. Mm. It might have been, I don't know, I find comfort in knowing that there's other people out there making sacrifices for certain things. So I'd be constantly watching um, military films on Netflix. I'm just obsessed with them. I've I've watched all all there is to watch on Netflix because I've always been obsessed with kind of action in any way. Are they films or documentaries? Both, sorry. Both, yeah. yeah. And just that, I don't know, I don't know why I watched them, just because I took solitude in knowing that there's other people that sacrifice working away for months and months and months sort of thing. But yeah, that always intrigues me, them fitting back into normal life after having that high of of being in the military and being involved in war and yeah. shooting guns and all that horrible stuff yeah. that actually at the time they're quite a lot of them you see there's this there's a uh, documentary on netflix called restrepo okay and it's about an actual camp in afghanistan like that's in the hills and it's a right hot spot for um firefights basically so it's o- o- occupied by the americans and they get attacked pretty much daily by the taliban um, so they're involved in firefights every day and you see them there's actual footage of them being involved in a firefight and it's kind of mad it's like they'll be shooting and then they'll you know they'll kind of get down take cover and they're looking at each other and they're actually laughing and because they're, they're properly in the moment you mm. know they've buzzed out their mind on adrenaline and then coming down from that imagine them coming home and then mm. being in a flat on your own or mm. something like that and I've got to go and get some milk now yeah yeah, I never that thought of that aspect actually. The heightened, it makes total sense. The heightened um, emotions and the adrenaline that go with that. Um, yeah, I, I sort of noticed the lack of structure and the lack of, because um, obviously there's a clear hierarchy in the army, army and there, yeah, yeah, yeah. even when you're a decent rank, which he was, there's still a clear every day, get up at this time, you do this, then you do this, and then we're all going to go and do this. Yeah. He went from that to being at home. Not really with any use floating around, really. Yeah. Um, like a parsnip. <laughs> and um, yeah, he he was a bit of an old romantic and thought that as long as we were together, it'd be all right. And it's totally not. Yeah. You know, you need to feel there's all sorts of stuff going on there about our own confidence and our sense of worth and value that we get from work and our professional identity. He lost all of that. Yeah. Um, and didn't realise how important it was. Yeah. I think it must be so difficult for athletes retiring from sports as well and yeah. I think why a lot of them struggle but a lot of boxers turn to not the lot, adoration as well haven't you that sort of goes yeah, as well that. yeah and they've got nothing yeah because it is unfortunately with boxers in particular or fighters once you've retired it's kind of like uh, unless you're massive then people are still into you but it's like yeah. what they're into you for because you're a boxer but what are you now that does must that be happen hard. in football as much because all you ever see is footballers going on to be managers and do you know what I mean? Yeah, all that kind I of stuff. I think it must do because it's not like there's a They can't place all do it, can yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. It's not, like, it's not like they can all do it. And they must do. And not having that regime anymore. Yeah, and having that freedom kind of when thing. they leave. That yeah. must be must be quite similar. Yeah. And not have them highs of playing in cup finals and whatever else. It's the same thing about that, that, that's come up quite a few times in this chat, which is that the way you think things are going to be is not how they are. Yeah. So there's little fantasy that we always have. One day I'll leave the army and then we can just do this. And it was the everyday stuff that normal people take for granted, like going out for dinner together or watching a programme or um, 
you know, go into the supermarket together and in the mundane things we take a lot of pleasure from and it'd be in the distance. One day I'll leave the army and we can do that every Tuesday. Yeah. And then the reality comes and it's not it's not what you think. And imagine building your whole life and your whole goals on something and it, we've talked about it. It's the same thing. Take your rose-tinted specks off, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good point. I try and do that now, actually, because that's something I, I miss is the normal shit that I've got to do. And I try and do that now. Once I'm back doing the normal shit, I love just me and Alison chilling out indoors watching Netflix. And sometimes I'll now actually bring myself into the moment and just be like, this is cool. Couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Or even when I'm working away, I think about them times and look forward to getting home to that and stuff because that small stuff is definitely important, I think. And that's that's true of a lot of stuff we've talked about, taking the pleasure in the small things. Yeah. Because that's the whole Instagram thing. Oh, you're doing so much good stuff. Well, actually, I love putting my little blanket on on a weeknight. Yeah. Music, coffee. It's bliss, you know. It doesn't yeah. always have to be yeah, yeah. going up London and taking a picture and showing everyone what good stuff you're doing. It's taking pleasure in the everyday and being comfortable in your own company. And yeah. so that when things go wrong, you've still got you and you can look in the mirror and still like it. Yeah. The same for me on Instagram with, and with work. You get to do all this cool stuff. I was actually going to post some pictures, but I completely forgot to have me sitting on sitting on the floor um, side of stage at a festival, and I've been there five hours, and it was it was that Outlook Festival, oh, yeah. the um, dubstep and hip hop one, mm. and just wanted to show people the other side. I was mm. ju- I'd just been sitting there for five hours with my headphones on while there's hundred decibel music going on. Um, it was like two in the morning. I've been there since the afternoon, mm. and I'm bored out of my mind. I do not want to hear another dubstep song. I mm. do not want to hear another hip hop song. Mm. This is doing my head in. I just want to go home. I'm tired. Yeah, I, I should have posted that really to say it's not all mm. Olympics and big stars. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You know, it's it can have its shit times too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, man. Here end of the podcast. Sorry, terrible at signing off these early podcasts. I'm going to get better at that. I just would panic and press stop. But uh, that was Donna. If you want to learn more about Donna, you can give her a follow on Instagram at Donald Waters. And there you can learn more about her radio show as well and the progression of that. Bye for now.